Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Professor Rolf Jacobson tells the story of when he was trying to teach his young children about the Ten Commandments. And they got to the Tenth Commandment, the one about coveting. And his son was eight or nine years old at the time. And he was trying to teach him what this weird word covet means. It's like, you know, it's about wanting stuff that you don't already have. You've got what you need, but you want something else. So, for example, you know, you've got all of these Legos. You've got tons of Lego sets. You've got more Legos than you could ever imagine. But you found out that there's this brand new superhero Lego set. And you really, 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 really want it right? That's coveting. Does that make sense? And his son said, yeah, that makes sense. Also, could you add that superhero Lego set to my Christmas list, please? (laughs) We are programmed, it seems, as people to want what we don't already have. And indeed, to feel like we need more than we already have. And there's a whole industry that is built around creating in us a sense of lack, a sense of worthlessness, that if only we could have the house that our neighbors have or the kitchen that our neighbors have or the car that our neighbors have or the salary that our neighbors have or the jobs that our neighbors have, if only we could be like the Joneses, if only we could have that, then we would finally be happy that we just need a little bit more or maybe a lot more than we already have. And then, then we'll be worthy, we'll be happy, we'll be beautiful, we'll be loved. We are programmed to believe that we don't have enough and that we would be more lovable, more worthy, more valuable, more happy if we just had more. And we're never, ever going to be satisfied. Because you get what they have, and you find out that they wanted something more too. We are programmed to covet. We have made desire itself our God. And so we come in our summer-long conversation about God's commandments, God's playpen, this safe place in which we are set free to play, and we come to the Tenth Commandment, where God commands us, challenges us, invites us not to covet, not to desire more than we already have, not to want what our neighbors have, to be satisfied with who we are and what God has given Now, I want to be really clear. This commandment is not at all meant to make those who struggle to make ends meet, those who live on the edge of poverty, those who know hunger, those who know homelessness or lack of adequate housing, those who know what it is to face bankruptcy if their kid gets sick because they don't have good enough health insurance. This is not meant to encourage those folks to just be satisfied with their crappy lot in life. Indeed, the scriptures are replete with prophetic challenges to God's people to build a world in which all have enough, in which no child ever goes hungry. God is not satisfied with those who struggle for their basic survival. That's not what this commandment is about. Indeed, if that's where you're at, God is with you in the struggle 
to have enough. But rather, this commandment is given to a people who already know, deep in their DNA, inscribed in their flesh and blood, the first commandment. And what, dear people, is the first commandment? This is the last time we're going to do this, I promise. All right. But you all know this by now. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Right? This is a people who know what it is to have no control over their lives or their future, to have less than what God desires for us to have, and yet God reaches down into history to bring them to freedom and life. This is a people living by the hand of a freeing and liberating God. And it is also to this people that God gives daily bread. The people hearing this commandment not to covet, not to desire what their neighbors have, are a people who are fed day by day by day by manna. Now, we've talked about manna before, but here's a little refresher course. Manna is this magical stuff, this miraculous food that is there when the dew lifts in the morning and is there on the field for the people to gather. And no matter how much you gather, there is always enough for the day, just for the day. Six days a week, plenty for one day. On the sixth day, you get a double portion so you don't have to work on the Sabbath. But every single day, there is food enough. And this manna is magical and miraculous in that it doesn't matter how energetic you're feeling or how lazy you are. It doesn't matter how much effort you put in. If your back is aching or you are exhausted and you cannot manage to gather much more than a few small flakes, guess how much manna you end up getting? Enough for the day. And if you are feeling energetic and robust and like running out in the morning as soon as the sun comes up to gather as much as you can, guess how much you get? Enough for one day. No matter what effort you can or cannot put into it, you get enough for the day. And so what good would it possibly do for you to be envious of your neighbor? What good would it possibly do for you to look over at your neighbor and see them energetically running around and gathering as much as they can? They have like six kids who are robust and awesome and they can gather tons and tons of manna. It doesn't matter. If you snuck in and stole half of what they gathered because you just weren't feeling up to doing it yourself that day, guess how much you would end up with? Enough for the day. Guess how much your neighbor, whom you stole half of their manna from, would end up with? Enough for the day. Because manna is grace. Manna is grace. And ours is a God who breathes grace. And so it is to these people people who live free by the liberating hand of God, brought out of slavery in Egypt, to live 
day by day by day by the gracious sustenance and provision of a giving and gracious God. It is to these folk that God says, you have enough. You are enough. You don't need anything more than you already are. You are worthy. You won't be happier if you just have what they have. You won't be more lovable if you just look like she does. You are enough. Dr. Brene Brown, the author of lots of books about shame and worthiness, we talked a lot about her writings during the season of Lent this last year. She has this wonderful quote that worthiness doesn't have prerequisites. You don't earn your worthiness. Our fabulous vicar Marissa painted this for me for my birthday this last March. She gave it to me a couple days early because she knew that we were headed that day into a difficult conversation with some difficult people, and we knew that they were going to say some really difficult things. So she gave me this to remind me on that day and every day as it sits by my computer in my office that God has made me enough. That doesn't mean that I can't do some things better, certainly. But my worthiness, my belovedness is a gift. And so is yours. You see, your worth and value, dear people, is not found in the slick pages of a magazine or catalog. It is not found in all of the endless home improvement shows that tell you your kitchen sucks. <laughs> your worthiness is not detailed by the numbers your doctor tells you you need to fix. The number that shows up when you weigh yourself in the morning. Your worthiness, your value, your belovedness is not found in having a better car, a a better salary, a better job, a, a better spouse, a better girlfriend, a, a better anything. Your worth, your value, your belovedness is given. It is a given. It is not earned and it cannot be lost. Because this is who you are. A person brought out of Egypt by the hand of a loving God who feeds you day by day. It is this gift, not written in the pages of a magazine, but rather inscribed on your forehead in the waters of holy baptism. It is there where God claims you as beloved forever and then brings you to this table where God feeds you day by day by day, week after week, with a gift of grace that cannot, cannot be withheld. It is this gift of worthiness that allows us to then live into the world. Maybe wanting some other stuff. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with that, but knowing that it's not going to make you happier. I can't tell you how many people I have known in my life of ministry who have houses that I lust after and paychecks that I'd love to see. But when we sit down and talk, turns out their life is 
just as empty, if not more so, than mine has ever been. You are given, given your worth and value. You cannot earn it or lose it. And beginning from that place, flowing from the waters of this bath and fed at this table, you are called then into a world to not just be satisfied with what you have, but to be utterly dissatisfied with a world in which some have less. Because we're a people of abundant grace and life. And so we go from this place knowing our worth and value and longing for every child of earth to know it too. And by God's abundant grace and life, and in God's good time, and by our shared work, all people will know this abundant gift of life as well. And thanks be to God for that. Amen. Amen.